As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. This is Paul Tenorio. Sam Stasekul is on vacation, so I will be carrying the piano as usual. And joining me to play that piano after I'm finished carrying it is Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, thanks for stepping in for Sam. I have no doubt that you're going to make this show better than it would be if Sam were here and working. There's no way. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. I can sub for Sam, but I cannot replace Sam. You know, I'm just coming in late. You know, last minute sub, close down the game, couple tactical fouls, and we're out of here. You are the Jonathan Lewis of Allocation Disorder. <laughs> if you, if this if this episode of Allocation Disorder was the Gold Cup roster, which it is, we are going to talk about the Gold Cup roster today on this episode of Allocation Disorder. We will also talk about the different approaches to roster selection for the Gold Cup between the U.S. and Mexico, kind of go into some of the ideas behind roster selection with the national team. Um, It's a little bit different than roster building, which is something we talk about a lot on allocation disorder, but I do think a lot of the strategy is the same. You take out the cap stuff, you take out um, trying to manage the money in TAM and GAM and all that, but there is a real strategy to how you pick teams Um, why you choose certain guys over others. So we'll dive into that in the second or third segment today. Um, But first, what we're going to do, we're going to go kind of position by position on this U.S. roster, talk through some of Greg Berhalter's decisions. And, you know, like I said, I'll go into some of the strategy I think Berhalter is using. We'll get some of Felipe's thoughts as well. Um, All right, Felipe, let's start off with the goalkeepers on this roster. It's pretty straightforward, not too many huge surprises. Matt Turner from the New England Revolution, Sean Johnson from NYCFC, and Brad Guzan from Atlanta United. I, I'm going to start by saying I'm going to skip ahead a little bit just because uh, it works for this joke. But I am very happy that Brad Guzan is on this roster. I wanted to see Greg Berhalter call up every possible Atlanta United player that was even <laughs> close to being good enough for the Gold Cup roster as payback for Atlanta United not allowing them to call up Miles Robinson, Brooks Lennon, and George Bellow for the Olympic roster. They would have missed zero games for being on the Olympic roster. They will miss several games for the Gold Cup. And 
Greg Berhalter, he did he did what I wanted. He brought in Guzan, he brought in Miles Robinson, he brought in George Bello. So I, I would say Guzan may be the only surprise, but a nice little revenge factor, right, Felipe? Yes, and you know Greg Berhalter has a very interesting relationship with Atlanta United fans too. They still go back to when Miles Robinson went to U.S. National Team camp, got hurt, apparently running after a game on a bad hammy comes back and misses the 2019 playoffs, the playoffs that probably could have saved Frank DeBoer's job had the team been, you know, absolutely intact. They lose Miles Robinson. You had Flo Pogba starting. You're welcome. That's what Greg Berhalter (laughs) should be saying. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And, you know, actually I was, I I was speaking to somebody close to, to Frank DeBoer over this last week, you know, for obvious reasons. And, even uh, this this person close to, to that staff here in Atlanta, the, the previous Frank DeBoer staff, still brings up the Miles Robinson injury. Oh, my The gosh. fact that Greg Berhalter ran him to the ground. And so, yeah, it's an interesting relationship that Atlanta has with the U.S. Men's National Team. But, hey, Gabriel said told us yesterday, he said, this is great for Atlanta United, not so great for the coach because they're, they're a thin squad in MLS, and now they're missing their starting goalkeeper, starting center back, starting left back. They're losing Barco to the Olympics, so, you know, tough life, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, first of all, I just want to state, you know, injuries at the national team happen. That's just a part of it. It sucks, but it happens. I remember when I was covering Orlando City way back in 2015, um, they sent some players away for national team duty, and the players immediately got injured. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was not like a nobody. It was like an important name that got injured on national team duty. Um, that's just part of what occurs and you, you have to get used to it. Um, but this goalkeeper group, I think what we should highlight is interesting because of how old it is. You know, this, this national team pool is so young. I mean, record breaking young. We know the big name stars who are under the age of 22 that aren't here. The European based stars, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent, Serginio Dest. You go on and on and on down that list, Tyler Adams of players who are are quite young um the goalkeeper part of this pool is is thin it's a thin um part of the roster and that's why you see two veteran players and sean johnson and brad guzan backing up matt turner i i believe matt turner will be the starter for the gold cup um but you know i i think what it does is highlight that the goalkeeper position is probably the weakest it's been maybe ever for the u.s i mean if we go back to like the 1990 pool you know, you're still talking about the guys that we've known for forever. Tony Miola and Brad Friedel, Casey Keller were coming through 90, 94, 98. We've never really had a, a hole the way we do now. You've got Zach Steffen at Manchester City. Of course, Ethan Horvath had a tremendous performance in the Nations League final against Mexico. And now the battle for the number three goalkeeper spot is basically these guys. Um, the the young goalkeepers coming through aren't really proven players. David Ochoa, um, you know, we saw his mistakes at the Olympic qualifiers. He's been involved. He's just starting to win and hold down a starting spot at Salt Lake. Um, there aren't a ton of young starters who are impressing in Major League Soccer. Maybe the next generation, maybe after 2022, we start to see some of these really young goalkeepers. Adunze at Leicester City, you know, maybe a guy like... Uh, Gaga Slonina, Chicago Fire, who hasn't yet debuted but signed a contract at 15 or 16 years old. You know, maybe one of these young guys who just hasn't broken through emerges for 2026. But 
thin part of this roster. Are you on the train, the the train of the MLSsoccer.com, as Greg Berhalter said, uh, <laughs> writers uh, of Matt Turner being the the answer, a goalkeeper of, of being better than Zach Steffen? I don't think he's better than Zach Steffen, but I mean, I, I thought what Berhalter said about just you sometimes you choose players based on the moment that they're in. Well, clearly Matt Turner is having a great, he's in a great moment. You know, it's like, he's a great, in a great time of his career. Um, he's playing well consistently, but you've mentioned, I think we've had like funny slack conversations about just how goalkeeping in MLS and in the U S in general is really dipping right now. And it used to be like this really important and stacked position group for the United States, even globally uh, that, you know, you had goalkeepers in the top leagues and now, um, you've got a national team coach who's who's struggling to pick three goalkeepers. I think Matt Turner is an obvious one, but to your point, Sean Johnson, in my opinion, like he you sometimes don't know what you're going to get from Sean Johnson either. You know, he's he can be great, he can be bad at times. You know, with Brad Guzan, I think he's been an important piece of the Atlanta United story ever since he came in late in 2017. Uh, but he's had his slips and his inconsistencies as well. And, and, you know, he's on his way. He's in, in, on the other half of his, of his career. And so you're starting to look at a position group. You've named all the, I didn't, I didn't hear you name Jonathan Klinsman. Maybe that was a mistake, but, um, no, it's not a mistake. Not. Uh, yeah, I know. I hear you. But, um, it, it is, it is, I think there's, there's like an alarm. There, there are alarm bells here for the future of the U.S. national team. And their goalkeepers, because even Zach Steffen, as good as we all know he is, he has not been healthy. And then Ethan Horvath, as you mentioned, a, a great backup, also in a great moment, having that Nations League, you know, hero story. Is he the guy? Is he someone that you can depend on in key World Cup qualifiers if the other goalkeepers don't deliver? It's a tough question for Berhalter. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, a lot of this roster, too, we'll go through some of the, the problems that we saw with this roster, but... Um, a lot of it was also reliant on club situations for players. Ethan Horvath, um, you know, typically I think could have been selected for this Gold Cup. Um, you know, he didn't play a ton in Belgium, uh, but he is a free agent. And so he's got to sort out his club situation. And that means that when he finds a club, he's going to want to be there for all of preseason. And so he was left off of this roster. That is going to be a theme that we come across a lot including in this next part of the roster uh, with the defenders. Another area that was super, super thin on this roster is the center backs. Um, that, again, is partly due to those club situations. Let's run through them. Um, the eight defenders on this team, George Bello, left back from Atlanta United, Reggie Cannon, right back from Boa Vista, Shaq Moore, right back from Tenerife, Donovan Pines, center back from D.C. United, Miles Robinson, James Sands, both center backs from Atlanta and NYCFC, respectively. Sam Vines, the left back from Colorado Rapids. And Walker Zimmerman, center back from Nashville. Again, there's a very strong, I think, center back, starting center back pairing here. Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman, they will start together. And they are, um, you know, I think they are two good options. They are both guys that are fighting for a role with the World Cup qualifying squad. Um, you know, when you look at that, position group right now you can see how susceptible it was when Aaron Long went down with injury because the moment Aaron Long went down with injury you look at who steps up next and it starts to really thin out the options at the position um you've got Matt Miazga who I think played well in Belgium this year but you know you know kind of what you're getting from Matt it's not a lot of ball playing at the position 
Um, he's a physical player, but he can be inconsistent at times. Chris Richards is a great option, but Chris Richards got injured at the end of the season. He wasn't included in this team because he's got to figure out his club future. Is he going back to Bayern Munich? Is he staying at Hoffenheim in, in a full transfer? Is he getting moved somewhere else? Uh, you know, I think everyone would love Chris Richards to step up and be the guy. Um, but, you know, this would have been great for him. This would have been, been awesome. a great opportunity been fantastic for him. For him. Yeah. Um, that didn't happen. And then you've got some of the other center backs based in Europe that they really wanted to see. I think the U.S. really wanted to take a look at Cameron Carter Vickers, who had a good another good year in the in the championship with Bournemouth. Um, he is owned by Tottenham. So he has to figure out where is he going next? Is he going on loan? Is he going to be sold? I think he's coming towards the end of a contract, which means Tottenham probably is going to look to sell him sooner than later. Um, he probably wants a permanent home at some point. And then Eric Palmer Brown in a similar situation. He went and played in Austria this year. He's under contract with Manchester City. You know, what does his future look like? Is he going to get sold? Um, so those players were both left off. Matt Miazga, he's owned by Chelsea. He's not going to go back uh, to Belgium and Anderlecht this year. So where is he going to end up? So he was left off this roster. So you take away those three. You take away Chris Richards for club situations. Those are four center backs where, who couldn't be included. And... You leave off John Brooks, of course, and where does that bring you? What brings you here? Uh, you know, not a lot to pick from. Zimmerman and Robinson, I think, are two capable players. Uh, behind them, Donovan Pines. I was just watching DC United play this past week. Donovan mm. Pines took that awful mm. angle at the end of the yeah. game on the goal that that ended up being the winner. Um, you know, a big opportunity for him just to show he's capable. And then for me, the dark horse here is James Sands, who, you know, kind of is the type of player that Greg Berhalter would typically like Felipe. Very good with the ball at his feet. Very good at picking out a pass. Young player. Can he throw his name into the mix at this position? Yeah, he's a ball player. You know, James Sands, very good on the ball. Very, very polished. um, Has really good vision. This last game that I saw him in against Atlanta United, Last week, I thought he was one of the best players on the field for them. Um, just highly consistent. He looks like a player that can play in a back three, you know, very similar to what Berhalter loves to do with with Reem in, in these certain situations against Mexico. I think he's that type of player. I, I just don't know how physical he can be at the international level. And and I think to your point, you know, Walker, Zimmerman, and Miles Robinson are those types of, like, physical center backs. And in that pairing – you have, I would say that Walker Zimmerman is kind of more of the ball playing center back. Miles um, Robinson continues that that continues to be part of his evolution. How how good can he be in distribution? Not how good, honestly. I feel like it's more about consistency. He has you know nailed down this like part of his brand that is kind of a lockdown one v one center back. Um, but I still think even under Gabriel Heinze, he's still trying to learn the position as far as taking out passes, taking chances, being consistent under pressure. I think that's where Miles Robinson continues to struggle. And that's where I feel it's going to be so interesting to watch these defenders because Berhalter wants to play from the back and, and, and teams understand that and they're going to press high. I don't think after watching Nations League, teams are going to say, let's just give the United States the ball and then back off. And so it's going to be interesting to see how this center back pairing evolves. And to your point where James Sands 
um, you know, slots himself in. You know, Donovan Pines, I've, I've watched him a few times here in Atlanta when, it, when they play against Atlanta United, D.C. United. Again, another physical center back, but in my opinion, struggles with the ball under pressure. And, and that is the modern game. That is the international game. You've got to be able to play out of tight spaces and keep the ball. Uh, so that to me is like the big question mark for this group. Um, I think the, you know, Reggie Cannon, very good player. He should help solidify and balance whether it's a back three or a back four. And then excited to sh- Shaq Moore, you know, players from Georgia. I believe he's Georgia born. So, um, and playing in Spain is, 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 is an interesting kind of career choice for an American defender, I think. So hopefully he can come in and be an option because again, I think we know that's what Greg Berhalter is looking for options down the road. Yeah. And again, this goes into kind of how do you build a roster if you're Greg Berhalter? And I think right back is another interesting examination of that process. You kind of know you have a lockdown right back, starting right back. If you can find a starter at left back, right? Serginho Dest is a very, very talented right back, very technical, very dangerous going forward. Right now, he's probably your starting left back because, you know, I I know fans love him. I can't see it yet. Anthony Robinson at left back just has not looked good at the international level. Too many mistakes, not a good enough defender, doesn't add enough on the attacking end to make up for the fact that he's not a good defender at left back. Um, You know, Sam Vines will get a chance here at the Gold Cup to try to push his name into the mix and win a a wide open left back spot. I, I think the U.S. would prefer to play Sergio Dest on the right. Um, though they they like the potential of Sergio Dest and Christian Pulisic playing on the same side, they like the combination play that can happen there. Um, but you know, ideally, you find a left-footed left back who can overlap Christian Pulisic, who likes to come inside and create some some overloads on that side of the field. So we will see Sam Vines get a chance to do that. George Bello will get a chance to do that with Atlanta. That's probably his best quality. George Bello yes. pushing forward, getting getting around the winger you know, with his pace, opening up space. And actually, I've seen him pick a pass pretty a, a few times, get on the ball, beat a guy one-on-one and, and find a pass. You've, you watch George Bell a lot. Do you think he can he can make an impression in this camp? I, th- I think based on because of the way that, that Berhalter has chosen the group, then he should. If this were like the senior national team, the true starters, the European starters, I think George Bellow is there to learn and he's trying to get in and kind of just like, remain in the picture but i think this sets up nicely for george bell i mean he's he's still he still plays like a young player like as far as reading the game his awareness and all that but to your point like he's i think one of his underrated skill sets is his ability to combine in the final third like he's good at playing again with guys that are tricky um dribblers he he finds Uh, little spaces right like he does a good job at that he likes that, you know, he grew up as an attacker, obviously. He's a converted left back, so he's still learning the position. He's been very open about that, about learning how to defend, when to go, when to come back. And so if 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 Greg Berhalter finds opponents where he says, hey, we can go at this team, you know, George Bellow is going to be in, in a nice spot to play in that left back position, get forward. And again, it's, it comes down to the relationship that he's going to have both with the, the player in front of him and the center back behind him. Because, you know, here in Atlanta, George Bellow is now to the point where he he has freedom to get forward. And the center backs behind him know that that space is going to be there. It's It'll come down to communication. But he's a good player. You know, he just needs time. I think Berhalter last time in the last camp mentioned that, that can he learn the concepts quickly in a camp? Can he translate his skill 
in uh, his obvious skill that he has in the game and, and and actually read the game and understand situations and play out of certain situations. It's all about, again, international soccer, situational awareness is key. And for young players, that's probably the biggest hurdle for them. Yeah, And, and I think, again, looking at this position, left back and right back, it goes to roster building once again. I, I think... Kevin Paredes was a name on the preliminary roster for the Gold Cup at DC United. Very interesting young player. Really high upside at a position of need. I think when people saw his name in the in the preliminary roster, there was some thought that we would see him in this in this team. And you know, he was a guy who I think would have really benefited had the US made the Olympics because then Sam Vines is gone, you know, George Bell is probably gone and Kevin Paredes is, has a chance to play a Gold Cup. Um but you know, he's he's just coming back from injury. He's breaking into the D.C. United team consistently. He's going to get a chance to stay at D.C. United and play consistently. If you're Greg Berhalter and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, Sam Vines is going to be the starter. I want Paredes to keep developing. It's better for him to stay at D.C. and play every game than it is to come here on the bench. You make that decision. At right back, it's interesting because there are two right backs that were included in the preliminary roster who were not called up. Uh, Jonathan Gomez is one at Louisville City, and um, Julian Araujo at uh, LA Galaxy also wasn't called in. Both of these players are dual nationals. Both of them have flirted with the Mexican national team. Gomez was called in to Tata's last camp to train. I believe Araujo has been... He he was approached. Yes. So from, from reading Mexican press yesterday, and I've been on press conferences where Tata Martino brings up Julian Araujo that he's talked to him, that he believes in him. And from what I read yesterday, Araujo turned down uh, an invitation to Mexico camp. And now he's, he's, he's on the outside looking in for both national teams. I think he may have burned a bridge with Tata Martino. And so he's in a tough spot, a really tough spot right now. Araujo. It's difficult because you look at both teams and the established right backs on both teams. And he's probably saying, where do I have the best chance to play? Where do I have the best chance to go to a World Cup? Well, you don't have a chance at all if you don't go to either camp, you know? Right, I understand right. not wanting to be cap tied for this Gold Cup. I totally get that. But you have to try to take advantage of your opportunities. And and to be fair, you look at the right back situation in the U.S., it's probably the deepest individual spot on the roster as far as number of capable starters right you've got Sergio Dest you've got Reggie Cannon you've got DeAndre Yedlin and then you've got Brian Reynolds at Roma Greg Berhalter brought him up yesterday as well Jose Mourinho is now the coach at Roma can you believe young Brian Reynolds is going to be coached by Mourinho and he says look we know Mourinho likes to lean on veteran players if Brian Reynolds misses preseason He's really in trouble with you know to try to get on the field under Mourinho. So we left him uh, to to be in preseason to try to make an impression. So again, these are the types of the decisions that you're going through as a manager with the national team. You're looking at the depth chart. You're you're balancing dual nationals. You're balancing club situations. Uh, you're looking at kind of weaknesses of the roster, the types of left backs you need, young players, and where they get their where they're going to maximize their time, their playing time. And that's how you end up with this group of defenders. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll go through the midfielders. We'll go through the forwards. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about Mexico. And we're going to talk about the different approaches, again, to roster building and to this tournament between Tata Martino and Greg Berhalter. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back. We are going through the Gold Cup roster. Felipe Cardenas is here with us, filling in for Sam Stasekol, who is on vacation. All right, let's take a look at this midfield group. Kellen Acosta from the Colorado Rapids, Gianluca Busio, Sporting KC, Sebastian Legette from the Galaxy, Christian Roldan from Seattle Sounders, Eric Williamson, Portland Timbers, Jackson Yule, San Jose Earthquakes. I look at this group and I think, okay, there's a lot of knowns and there's, you know, two interesting players. Um, I, I presume that the starting group is going to be three guys who we've seen with the team that we expect will be at World Cup qualifiers. And I think two of those three for sure will be a part of that group that that starts qualifying in September. Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette. I think both of those guys start in the trio of midfielders. The the third player who I think will start is Jackson Ewell. Not good at the Nations League. This is a really, 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 really important tournament for Jackson Ewell to show he can compete on the international level. He was hiding in that Honduras game in the semifinals in the Nations League. He didn't want the ball... Uh, his decisions were decisions that like, you know, I made when I got moved from playing right back to center mid, you know, like you, you make the simple decisions, uh, you, you play the ball backwards, you get rid of it as soon as you can. And, and yeah, I just felt like he was hiding in the game, uh, which is disappointing because he's been a player who I think has shown potential to take the next step in his game. And he just didn't do it here. He's, he's, you know, in my mind, regressed a little bit actually and so um this becomes a really important tournament for him and then Christian Roldan is a known commodity for Greg Berhalter but he's had a fantastic start to the season with Seattle I mean I think he's a guy who has taken his game to the next level so known commodity will we see the club form switch over to the national team this again you mentioned earlier Greg Berhalter brought up you know sometimes national team selection is about grabbing guys when they're in a moment, when they're in a good moment and capitalizing on that moment. Christian Roldan, probably one of those guys. Jean-Luc Abusio, definitely one of those guys. Eric Williamson, definitely one of those guys. Two players who didn't make the Olympic roster, two players who were considered snubs. Eric Williamson, the biggest snub of the Gold Cup, of the Olympic roster, rather. Both of them will be in camp. Uh, what are your thoughts on this this midfield position, Felipe? It's it's interesting. Let's start with Jackson Ewell because you, you talk about having those moments and he is not in a great moment right now either, if, which is so I thought seeing him on the roster was not shocking, but surprising because it, it to me, it's a it's a national team manager putting his arm around a guy that he's depended on. And I think, you know, Berhalter really wants Jackson Ewell to do well. And, you know, I was at this game in 2019 between the U.S. men's national team and Uruguay and St. Louis. And that was Jackson Ewell's 
re- he really came out and, and played really well. And it was like, who is this kid? He's going, he's going to be part of this number six rotation. And since then, to your point, I, I agree, he's tailed off the Olympic qualifying, even though he captained the side, had a great goal. You know, when it really one mattered, good player probably in that tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Let's much. give him some credit because he, 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 he was there really kind of like sweating the shirt, bleeding through that shirt, but still not good enough in, in, in that role. And for San Jose, San Jose is just terrible right now. And so when you're at a bad club that's struggling, your, your level drops. It's really difficult for you to maintain a level. And so seeing Jackson Yule in this spot, interesting he's going to have perhaps getting away from san jose for the summer will help him um eric williamson another player who i know you know when he wasn't on this olympic qualifying roster we we all made a lot of you know we were all beefing about that about that selection or or lack thereof um you know burhalter told reporters yesterday that he was not fit he didn't have a good camp he had a high ankle sprain that's tough to play through for any player and now he's back playing well but here's my Eric Williamson, I guess, my knock on him. I think he's a very technical player, um, and he can play in different little spots in, in, in like kind of like an interior double two, double pivot, if you will. I just think he needs to maintain like a high level of intensity all the time. Like he kind of like tails off in games, and at the international level, that's what it's all about. You've got to be locked in all the time. Just watching a game last night against Austin, you know, Portland did not play well, but Eric Williamson, again, wasn't there picking up the ball, wasn't looking for it, um, you know, could not get the, the team forward consistently. And so he's going to have to just like pick up his game. And, you know, I, th- this is a decent group. There's a lot of technical players. So that's good to see. I think my biggest, like, I'm just so intrigued by Gianluca Busio and how Berhalter will use him. I mean, just just bringing up number six and Buzio, I think, raises alarms. Like he's not a number six, but that that is a position that that is evolving in the modern game. And you know, Berhalter was very we're very honest. Like we like him as a playmaker as well. But just so intrigued to see what Buzio can do in this camp, where they like him, and if he's a player that they want to see on the ball consistently. Yeah, it's interesting because Greg Berhalter has used the number six position differently with this national team, right? He's done um, some things where it's kind of a traditional six. Like when Kellen Acosta is playing as the number six, he's there to cover ground and break up passing lanes and and um, disrupt and be kind of more defensive minded. I think Tyler Adams does both things that Greg Berhalter likes. He He's able to press and and be kind of very good defensively, but he also can make those line-breaking passes. He likes to get vertical quickly when he gets on the ball. Um, you know, that's something that's been drilled into him through the Red Bull system. So it's it's a little bit of both out of Tyler Adams. And then you've got the Jackson Yule, and if you look further back, Will Trap types of sixes, where Berhalter likes to keep things clean, around that six and allow the number six to pick out the pass, right? To, to play that long diagonal ball. If you go all the way back to the 2019 Gold Cup, that was a big part of what Greg Barhalter was trying to do with that number six position, to play that long diagonal to the wingers to kind of get things going as kind of the beginning of the offensive movement. The attacking movement was, you know, building out of the back, finding the number six and having the six play that long diagonal. Um, and so the Michael Bradley, number six, Michael Bradley, number six. And so we could see that type of version of six out of Busio, right? If you play two athletic eight slash tens in front of him, 
Um, and you you have two physical center backs behind him. We know that's going to be the, the, the case where neither of them are really ball playing center backs. Well, then the distribution out of the back falls to the number six, right? And maybe you split those center backs. You have the six drop in between to get the ball. The fullbacks push up the field, and that's where you start your your attacking movements. That's where I think Busio can be good, right? He he is, I think, efficient at finding those passes. Um, and same with Jackson Ewell. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see that mindset from this number six position, where they are picking up the ball a lot from the goalkeeper, and you know the the center backs are kind of splitting out wide, and that allows the fullbacks to really push high up the field. Um, and try to cause some problems with numbers. Now, do you do that against Mexico? Probably not. And that's when you start to talk about, okay, is that a game where we see Kellen Acosta at the six and you see Sebastian Legett and Eric Williamson or Christian Roldan and Sebastian Legett paired together? You try to get a little bit more um, athletic, a little bit more uh, tilted towards kind of how you cover ground defensively versus how you're building out. Um, Okay, let's push on. Oh, I did want to cover one more thing in the midfielders. There is a player I really wanted to see in this group that wasn't here. I think he would have been included in this group versus the wingers, Caden Clark from the Red Bulls. Um, Look, what I like about Caden Clark is he scores goals. He gets himself in dangerous positions and he tries stuff, right? He tries stuff and, and it works. He actually scores a decent amount of goals considering he plays as either a winger or a number 10 with the Red Bulls. Um, he had an appendectomy that kept him off of this squad. Greg Berhalter said he was really looking forward to to getting to see Caden Clark in this tournament. The appendectomy um, sadly kept him off of this roster. I think we will see him with the national team eventually. But now the question becomes when, you know, when do you get Caden Clark into a camp? I don't think we're going to be seeing too many guys brought in during World Cup qualifying. However, because it's a triple window and because you only have to name game day rosters the day before qualifiers, I think it's possible that you bring a bigger roster to these games and name different 23-man teams for specific games because you're going to be rotating the squad so heavily in order to stay fresh. So maybe yeah. we see him in the World Cup uh, camp, World Cup qualifying camp. But that was a guy who I think a lot of people would have pointed as as a snub. The appendectomy is the reason why. Felipe? Got something? Yeah, I mean, let me say something about Caden. I mean, I think in what's relevant to the current roster that we're discussing, there isn't another player like him. I think that's the that's where they're going to miss that. There isn't a number eight or a ten that can drop into midfield, play the ball, but also is consistently getting into the box and wanting to finish. If you look at you know Acosta, Buzio, perhaps Buzio, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot to ask a nineteen year old to 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 learn a new position. And start scoring goals. Leggett, you know, Sebastian Leggett is is not that sort of player either. He's more just a kind of a classic ten, very technical. Roldan, uh, Williamson, and Yule. So, you know, Caden Clark. It would have been great to see him because I think that's kind of like a missing piece of this midfield. Someone that will take chances and get forward. And like you said, he just he just scores. You know, he gets into the box and he's unafraid to look, to go to goal. And that's something that is is usually not taught. And so it'll be interesting to see who kind of picks up that role on this team so you can't always depend on your forwards to score goals yeah I mean typically I'm a big believer in kind of bringing younger players into the team because I think that they have this element of kind of not knowing what they're not supposed to do you know there's no fear they're not veteran enough to 
be worried about the stuff that can go wrong. And so they try stuff that they, you know, that actually end up working if you're good enough. Right. And, you know, for me, the example, or, and sometimes I think that they inject an energy into the team. So like, for example, and again, it kind of goes to what Greg Berhalter talks about in the moment, like Josh Sargent was brought from the U-17 World Cup straight to the U-20 World Cup because he scored all those goals with the 17s. He was feeling confident. Tab Ramos brought him in with the 20s, and he did well with the 20s, and that helped lead to this transfer to Werder Bremen and et cetera, et cetera, right? You capitalize on that moment and that confidence. You bring a young player up, but he injects some energy into the squad. I think Caden Clark could have brought that, right? I think he's got this level of confidence right now. He, you know, his transfer is finalized to Leipzig, though that's been a done deal behind the scenes for a long time. So maybe not that exciting, but it's out there and you start realizing it's it's going to happen soon. You're scoring goals. You know, the, the famous example, if you're an American fan to bring up would be Beasley and Donovan. Probably unfair to compare anyone to those two, considering that they are two of the greatest players to ever put on a u.s uniform so what they did in 2002 can probably be chalked up to how good they are versus just how young they were but i do think that helped them in 2002 that you know they they didn't have time to stop and think about oh my god i'm at a world cup they just were like having fun and playing soccer and they just played yeah they just played so they um, went off script that's what these young players do you know like Caden clark goes off script i i was on a red bull podcast the other day i didn't compare him to Gio reyna but I said, that's the sort of player that he is. Giorena goes off script all the time. He just kind of finds find spaces and he's unafraid to go to goal. And so maybe that's Buzio. Maybe Buzio, Buzio can be that sort of player that isn't as rigid in a system and can kind of move off, move around the field and, and create. Yeah, and the funny thing is, the U.S. team doesn't need to inject young energy into the team. They've got Giorena already. <laughs> They've got Yunus Musa, who's a teenager. They've got... Christian Pulisic, who's 22, Weston McKinney, who's 22, Tyler Adams, who's 22, uh, go down the list. Daryl DK is 21, probably going to be starting for them. Uh, Josh Sargent is 20 or 21. I mean, there's all it's all youth, pretty much. But I think Caden Clark has that level of confidence, too, to your point, that Gio Reyna does. Speaking of Daryl DK, we're at the forward position now. Let's go through the group Greg Berhalter called here. Paul Ariola from DC United, Daryl DK, Orlando City. Nico Giacchini from uh, Cayenne in France. I think that's how you say it. Uh, Matthew Hoppe at Schalke. Jonathan Lewis from the Colorado Rapids. Jossie Zardes, Columbus Crew. Not a ton of surprises here for me, save for one. I was very surprised to see Jonathan Lewis in this roster. He is essentially coming off the bench in Colorado. That's kind of the role Greg Berhalter likes him for. So we should say that, that he sees him pretty much as a super sub. And to be fair to Jonathan Lewis, he's been very good in that role for the U.S. He does change games when he comes into the U.S. And again, you know, as we've gone through each position group, we're talking about roster building. You know, there is an element of bringing a certain player for a certain role, right? We've seen it. uh, You know, there are so many different examples. I think Eddie Johnson was part of Klinsman's World Cup qualifying roster to play a very specific role. You can come in late in games, be a target, uh, you know, very good in, on set pieces in the box. Robbie Finley went to a World Cup to, to add pace to the U.S. team to play England and to disrupt them. And he did that very well in that game. I think the mistake was starting him in the next game. Um, but, you know, brought for a very specific reason and, and added something for that very specific reason. Here... Jonathan Lewis is, I think, being brought for a very specific reason, and it's to be a super sub winger off the bench 
to get in behind the the line, to cause defenders to make mistakes with your movement. Um, and he's been good at it with the national team. But including him means you're not including Cade Cowell. Probably, to me, that's the decision that you're making there. Um, Felipe, when we talked to Greg Berhalter when he did this press conference, one thing he pointed to was there isn't a ton of depth at the winger position. Chalkini and Hoppy are both going to be playing at the winger position. Both of them are probably number nines naturally. Um, and so Ariola and Lewis are really the only two natural wingers on this team. Maybe that's why he brought Lewis over Cade Cowell as well. Cowell also kind of playing more as a number nine than a winger, a very vertical player. He, he, he kind of is a uh, straight line player, Cade Cowell, but you know, he is productive right now in San Jose for a bad San Jose team. So to me, that's the one name on the roster that I thought, Mm, I can see a justification for bringing him, but I'm not going to bring him yeah, over DK. Sure. I'm not going to bring him over Zardes. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, first of all, your Jonathan Lewis uh, description as a super sub. So basically you're saying he's the U.S. national team version of Jack Grealish. Is that, I mean, that's, that's high praise for, oh my for God. No, I'm not really. That. That. I already really. said he is like <laughs> the Felipe Cardenas of the allocation disorder. He steps exactly. in to do a job and to do it well you know, in a moment, you know, Sam's gone. Felipe steps in. He crushes it. Jonathan Lewis, late in the game, you need a goal. You want to cause some disruption on the back line. You bring him in. He he is, you know, he is that type of player who goes at you, right? He he runs at defenders. He gets in behind the back line. He created opportunities. We saw, like, I think he scored a couple goals when Jesus Ferreira was playing as a false number nine. Um, okay. So he 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 has been productive. That's the one thing I'll point out when he's with the national team. So who cares? To a certain extent, it's like who cares what his role is with his club, you know. But you know, at the same time, what it does to me is it puts a lot of pressure on Jonathan Lewis to be productive in this tournament to justify yeah, this election. Every national team needs everyone. Every team in the world needs a needs a few players that can come off the bench. And do well in, in late stages of games. Every national team, the highest, the, the best teams in the world have that player. I mean, when you look at the forwards, obviously Dale DK is going to be your starting number nine. He's just playing so well. He's very tough to handle. Um, and, and he needs time in a tournament, in a, in a real tournament to play consistently and see how he performs. I don't know what, you know, Nicholas, you know, Giochini as a winger is going to look like, to be honest with you. Um, I can see the Matthew Hoppy experiment working because of the way he has played in the Bundesliga for Schalke. Um, he, he is a player that wants to get in behind, and I think he can come in inside, drift inside, drift outside. He's a good player. Um, and then, you know, you have your, you know, have Zardes, who's just, he's always kind of there. He's, he's kind of like the Brad Guzan of the forward group. He's the veteran player. You know, it's a great Greg Berhalter, yeah, you know, great Greg Berhalter knows. He knows exactly what he's getting from Zardes. He said that on the call with, with reporters. And, also valuable uh, with the national team to know what yes. you're going to get from somebody. Two players in this group that fit that description, Ariola and Zardes. Their levels, right. maybe maybe their levels don't go ever. They're never going to go to, you know, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna levels of production or, you know, pick a number nine. There's not really one for the U.S. right now. But, like, but you know they're not going to drop too bad. Right. They're always right. going to be good. They're going to give you something. And it's not you've you've brought this up several times on this on this pod. It's like when when national team managers are, are choosing 
players for tournaments, you see this all around the world that there are certain players that you just know are the coach's crutch or they're a player that they just know they can depend on. They might not even be great players or they might not be playing very well for their club teams. And Paul Ariola is a guy I think we all know very vertical, can get to the end line. The, the final ball is not always there. But I think Greg Berhalter sees a player like Ariel as an experienced winger um, in, a, in a position group that is extremely thin and a guy that he can get in his ear and say, this is what I need you to do. And he'll do it. You know, Paul, Paul Ariola will deliver and, and he'll play hard. He'll play well. He can lead this young group. He can, he can play in different positions in, in a front three. And so that's what you'll see from the group. I, I think it's, it's an unproven group. I agree. I, I think Cade Cowell is an, is, was prime, is in a prime situation to, to have been part of, of this national team at this moment in time. Um, and, and I'm always like, I'm just being selfish and like get him out of San Jose for a little while, you know, like get him away from that dumpster fire of a club and put him in a national team camp. And plus, remember, he's a dual national. I mean, he can eventually, if he's ever identified by Mexico as, as, a, as, a, as an option, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, you can start that process. And he's, listen, he's playing well. You mentioned it. He's scoring goals. He's fearless. Uh, I think he's a bit too direct to your point. You know, can he play within a system like Burhalter's that is very positional based? I don't know, but there's only one way to find out. So kind of disappointed to not see Cade Call in this Gold Cup roster. Yeah, but again, I think you make a good point about this roster, this tournament. You know, for me, when I looked at the snubs, quote unquote, you're talking about Paredes, you're talking about Cade Cowell, you know, maybe maybe Pepe, who's who's in a good moment for Dallas. I like Pepe, by the way. I like yeah, that player. he's a good player. You look he's, at this, though. He's ruthless, man. When you talk about World Cup qualifying, you have to put it into context of the team. And what are you trying to see? Who really has a chance to break in? You know, I think it's important to have Ariola back in the national team for this tournament because he's going to be a part of that World Cup qualifying group. Why? Because of the things you talked about. He works his butt off. He, he does exactly the role that he's told to do and he does it well and he and he is just dependable. That's important to introduce into that group of young players when we get to qualifiers, right? He's also one of the few players left in this pool who has experience playing in World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. So, you know, if you're talking about um, kind of looking towards World Cup qualifiers, you want Ariola for sure. You want DK for sure. You need Zardes back in the group because no one stepped up as a number nine. So he might end up being one of the nines you bring if Sargent isn't producing, if DK you know doesn't seize the moment here at the Gold Cup. So you start to get into those moments, those selections, and you're saying, okay, how far do we project Kate Cowell from being a part of this group? Maybe not for 2022, or maybe it's going to be, look, we're bringing him into January camp, we work with him for a month, and then we see if we introduce him to the team in in January or March qualifiers, or more than likely the friendlies after that as you're preparing for a World Cup. And you, So, you know, all of those things need to be measured if you're the manager. I agree I wanted Cowell. I'm sure I made some people throw things against the wall when I said Zardes is always good. Be angry about it, folks. Think about it during this Zardes, break. Zardes is going to the World Cup. Let's just let's just be honest. I don't honest. know about that, man. Because I don't know about that. Don't with think? this three, with with playing with wingers, I think there's room on the roster for two number nines, and hmm. there are there are two players 
who I think are going to be given every chance to fill those spots, DK and Sargent. And if they can yeah. grab the moment, they will be the two number nines on the roster. You know, you've got uh, PFOC as well, who, who's trying to fight in. I, I didn't love him against Mexico. I think he disappeared. He, but he came on as a sub late in the game and scored a goal. He's good in the air and set pieces. Maybe he's a guy who makes the team for that reason. The dark horse I haven't talked about for a long time. Who knows what happens with Josie Altador if he leaves Toronto and ends up in the right club situation and starts playing. I don't see that happening. He hasn't been fit in a very long time. But for me, I think the the hope within the national team, the hope is actually that DK and Sargent end up grabbing onto the number nine spot, which means Zardes could potentially be the, the last man out of that group. Because I think there's going to be only room for two strikers in the World Cup squad because of the number of wingers they're going to bring. Right, Pulisic, Reyna, Aronson, Ariola, I think are are on the on the squad right now, and I think you're looking at guys like, you know, Caden Clark, who can play as a winger, who can play as a ten. You're looking at that profile of player. Maybe you're looking at Giacchini. Maybe you're looking at, uh, you know, a Hoppy. I, I know I'm forgetting some guys who aren't here in this camp, who are in that kind of winger group. I think that's where you're going to see the extra player you know, at the World Cup. Somebody who can play centrally and who can play out wide. Aronson probably is that guy and he gives you the flexibility to add an extra player. And then the question becomes, where do you add that extra player? Is it a third number nine? Is it an extra center back? So you can, you know, potentially flex into that three-man back line. That'll be another roster decision that Burhalter has. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking about World Cup. We're more than a year away from the World Cup. Um, but it's good to do that because these rosters yeah. uh, project out to that roster, believe it or not. Um, Let okay. me say one thing about DK, quickly, about yes. DK. Because I think people, especially on Twitter, were like, he's coming to the Gold Cup to eat. Oh, gosh, he's going to eat. He's just going to destroy the tournament. And you know, I, I, it's going to be a learning experience for him, too, to play as a nine, again, consistently. And I think if you go back to the game between Orlando and Inter-Miami, I watched that game specifically to see how Leandro Gonzalez Perez and Nicolas Figal were going to defend Daryl DK. And they, again, he was coming off a lot of games in the championship. He comes back, he scores, I think, almost a hat trick against a very bad San Jose team. And then he comes in and LGP's mission was just to physically body Daryl DK everywhere on the field, everywhere. And I think he did a really good job. And I'm like, wow, there's a blueprint here for a player that, Everyone thinks is physically dominant, and he can be, but there is a way to defend him, and that is the international game. Bigger, more physical center backs that they'll just they'll mark you everywhere. And I think Daryl DK is going to have to learn how to play out of that. Is he checking? Is he turning? What runs is he making? You know, that that to me, if I am any coach, I'm watching the Inter Miami Orlando game from over from, from last weekend. And I'm and I'm saying, okay, you need to be in his back pocket, in his head, in his ear. Don't let him turn. Don't be afraid to, to tackle him. Um, tactical fouls, and, and it worked. So it'll be interesting to see how how much he grows up in that position during the Gold Cup. All right, awesome. We are going to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little bit about Mexico's roster, but really, we're going to talk about the different strategy around this tournament between Tata Martino and Mexico and Greg Berhalter in the U.S. It's a story that Felipe and I are working on for next week, but you will get a preview here on Allocation Disorder. Hang with us. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We are back. Paul Tenorio and Felipe Cardenas here. We are going to talk a little bit about the Mexico squad. Um, I think the big headline here, Felipe, for me, is Chicharito is not included in this team again, despite the fact that he leads MLS in goals. Uh, Right now, he has 10 goals, one ahead of Raul Ruiz Diaz, I believe. Um, the MLS and Galaxy player who is included on this team is Efra Alvarez, who has decided to represent Mexico internationally. That's two players in this tournament who are going to be cap tied, who were eligible for the U.S. Alvarez with Mexico and Ayo Akinola, who has decided to switch and play for Canada. Uh, when you look at this team from Tata Martino, what stands out to you? Uh, obviously, you know, well, I think you should start with Funes Mori over Chicharito. And then what are what are kind of the other highlights of this team? Well, number one is that it is a team that is obligated to win the tournament. And Tata Martino has said that many times um, over the last week um, when he's been discussing the possibilities of taking essentially his strongest team to this tournament. Uh, they This is a tournament that Mexico sees as a must win any any time they're in it. Um, and I remember after the Nations League final, you know, Tecatito Corona during an interview referred to the Gold Cup as revenge. And at the time, it wasn't clear if Tata was going to take this same squad. And that to me was like a light bulb, like, okay, I think we're going to see the same guys back in this tournament. And they had their eyes squarely on repeating uh, as Gold Cup champions um, going back to 2019. So it's, the the thing for me is that Tata, it's just a different culture as far as it comes back to the way he's always been as far as how you the way he rests players or the, how he gives time off to these players. And these the Mexican national team had about four days off in between a couple of friendlies at the end of last month. But this was always part of their plan. And the, the, the thing that they that Mexico has had to balance is that they qualified for the Olympics. And so there are a couple of players or three players that are going to Tokyo that would be part of this Gold Cup squad with, you know, Diego Lainez, uh, Memo Ochoa is not going to be during at the Gold Cup. He will be one of the three overage players. And then Luis Romo, who, you know, the Cruz Azul number six has been, you know, one of the best players in League MX over the last two seasons. He's kind of like the quarterback of, of that team. And so Ochoa, Romo and Lainez will be in Tokyo. And for Tata, you know, he, I really do believe he views this, period of time as a way to get the players that he needs for World Cup qualifying in camp. You know, the last year he has said many times the difficulty that 2020 presented as a national team manager to get players in camp. They took a risk and went to Europe during the height of a pandemic 
to play games in Europe because he just needed time with those players. And so he sees the summer as an opportunity to do that. But I think you see two different coaches, two different cultures, and honestly, two teams that view the tournament in very different ways. Mexico's there to win it. The U.S., even though Greg Berhalter said many times on the call yesterday that they're there to win a trophy, it's pretty clear that they are experimenting and and testing out players for a longer-term plan. And that is what's being criticized um, in Mexico. Does the U.S. even care about this tournament? Do you see Copa America in Europe, Europe, the European Championships teams taking their B squads? It's kind of a slap in the face for a lot of people in Mexico. If Mexico were to do that, I think there would be outrage. And so it'll be interesting to see how both managers take that responsibility throughout the tournament because they will be asked that question. Yeah, I mean, I think they're also, though, when you look at this team and you go through the roster, I'm, I'm just kind of glancing at it. I see one, two, three, four, five players who are playing abroad, and the rest is is based in Mexico at Liga MX. So you have Araujo with Celta Vigo, Edson Alvarez, obviously, at Ajax, Eric Gutierrez at PSV, uh, Hector Herrera at Atletico Madrid, uh, and Jesus Tecatito Corona at Porto. Uh, and and Chucky Lozano and Napoli, Chucky, right? Yep. So so those are you know I think if the U.S. had a similar breakdown of their roster, if the majority of players were MLS based, you would see the the A team because they would be playing in their leagues as these players, most of these players are. But you know most of the U.S. roster, the best players are coming out of a, a season. I think Greg Berhalter said it yesterday where they're playing, they were playing something like fifty eight games in eight months. And he just thought that it was better, that there was more positives from giving the players off, allowing them to kind of have the high of winning Nations League, take some time off, and come back in September a little bit better rested, having gotten away from soccer at some point before going back to preseason, and come into camp in a positive mindset versus kind of being dragged into the Gold Cup when you needed, when you wanted time off not getting any vacation at all because as soon as the gold cup ends you're going into preseason and and then you're going through a, a fall that has eight qualifiers in 3 months um in addition to all of your club responsibilities and in addition with with all those flights back and forth and so you know you're weighing the positives and negatives you're weighing the positives of kind of the mentality that he believes he has in his group what what he thinks those players need more Versus the positives of having a group together for a month in the summer to work together, to train together, to play together. And that's a tough call, I think. I see what Tata Martino sees. I agree. I see the positives of having that group together for a whole month, especially considering how rarely they were together in 2020 because of COVID. Um, I will note that Burhalter has you know, gone leadership by committee with the national team, partly because they're so young and there's not a kind of a clear captain on this team yet um, he's created this leadership council which he had in Columbus as well and it includes multiple players during camp so it includes guys like Christian Pulisic Weston McKinney and also guys like Tim Ream and and um, John Brooks right veterans and young guys and I think he leans on them pretty heavily about what guys are saying in camp what do they like what do they not like you know are, are they happy with the food are they happy with the hotel are they not and I think he gets a good idea of like what players needed. And, you know, we also have to weigh, I think partly here, 
that these are young players too. So it's not just that they're playing a lot of games, but for some of them, they were playing their first like really heavy schedule as a professional at a big club. You know, Weston McKinney's never experienced the pressures that come at Juventus until this year. You know, that that takes a toll on you. Serginho Dest went from, broke into Ajax, had a good year and got sold to Barcelona and, you know, played day in, day out pretty much outside of when he was injured with Barcelona. You know, so you, you've got to also weigh that side of things as well. But it is fascinating to me, just they they couldn't be more strategically different here, Felipe, between giving it's guys so a rest different. and bringing your A squad. Again, I think Tata maybe looks at things differently if 20 of his guys are playing in Europe. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he does? I don't know, man. I, I, he, he When he was here in Atlanta, he had... He's, he struggled to give time, time guys time off. Like it got to to the union at, at that point. The MLSP had to step in and be like, yo, you need to give players time off. Um, and he, so he learned from that. Culturally, I've spoken to South American players that have played in Atlanta and they're like, we get way too many days off here. It's like, we don't feel like professionals when they're given time off. And so that that is the culture that I believe Tata Martino wanted to instill in Mexico for you know, a, a team that has one goal, and that is to get beyond the quarterfinal of, of a World Cup. A team that struggles at times with their mentality. They have a, a history of struggling in, in big games at, at the highest level. And so this is totally a coach instilling and implementing his his way of thinking. And, and the committee that you mentioned from Burhalter is interesting. I, you know, I think Tasa gives these players freedom but not that much freedom not that much freedom and i think having given us a, a squad and a, and a very important player a little bit t- too much freedom um is is a reason why he's tightening the belt um on this squad and getting them together whenever he can you know i was st- talking to some mexican reporters that were here in atlanta for atlanta for mexico's last friendly against honduras and one guy told me straight up these guys want to go home. They're tired. It was a, it was a, it was a, like a, a bad game against Honduras. Mexico did not perform well, and this reporter was telling me that the players were kind of just done. Uh, they needed time off, and they were given I think maybe four or five days, and now they're back together. Um, this this cycle is so important to Tata Martino and the national team that he just can't risk losing guys and giving them time off before World Cup qualifying. They're they're the, the the magnitude of the expectation is so high. And that's what I think is fascinating. The U.S. didn't qualify. Their pressure, the pressure on the U.S. is is, is massive as well. Um, but listen, this is the, his core group, and this is the, these are the guys he's going to lean on, which is something that Tata has always done, perhaps to his detriment, leaning on the same guys consistently. So you're going to see that. We talked about position groups. I think the goalkeeper one is one. He's experimenting there. He likes Orozco a lot. The, the goalkeeper from Club Tijuana. He's very good with his feet. Uh, the right back position, who we talked about when we brought up, you know, Julian Araujo, that is a weak spot. So Araujo should have taken that invitation back when he had it, because this is one weak spot for the Mexican national team. Chaco Rodriguez is going to play there, but he he is not this lockdown. Right back, he's good on the ball, but he's just so, tends to be inconsistent. And then you have Efra Alvarez, who I think 
uh, you know, you went to his house, you talked to his parents, you know, you have, I'm, I'm wondering how surprised you, you even are that he made this decision. I know Tata loves players like this. He loves the tricky left player, left, left footer that's technical, that can play in space. That's why Diego Linez is already labeled as the future of the national team. I think Efra Alvarez is a player that he really likes. He likes that enganche, the number 10, the classic number 10. And that he has a guy in Orbelin Pineda that does well in that, in that position. But Efra is going to get an opportunity to play. Um, but again, I, I think it's never good for a regional power, and I'm talking about the United States now, to get a pass at the region's most important tournament. Now no one expects the U.S. to play well. Oh, they don't need to win. Look at the team. Is that good for this tournament? Is that good for the U.S. national team? I, I don't think so. And, and they're going to be hearing that throughout the tournament. Yeah, I mean, I would care more if CONCACAF wasn't a total mess that, that all they care about is money. And, I mean, look at – first of all, they hold the Gold Cup every two years. So you can throw it out the window when you try to compare it to the Euros or Copa America. If they had Gold Cup every four years, then this wouldn't happen. This would not happen. But they don't. They have it every two years because they want to make more money. And this tournament is a great example of that. There's a reason that every game in the knockouts is being held in in areas or this entire tournament is being held in areas that at the time were allowing full capacity. Because they wanted to maximize the money that they could make. Forget about whether it's the best places to play. Look at the cities that you're playing in in the middle of summer in, in the United States. Kansas City, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Orlando, like the hottest cities that you can go play in, they're playing in, right? Vegas for the and, final. And politically, and politically friendly. Maybe it wasn't as far as I don't that even goes. know if Orlando's happening, but California. I mean, they're, they're, picking the, they're picking places based on, yes, where they can put 100% capacity in the stands, COVID be damned, and – you know, quality of play be damned. Nations League, semis and finals. They put it in Denver at altitude with three days rest between the semis and the finals. Is that about quality of play? Playing game, two games at altitude and three days rest? No. It was about trying to maximize your money. Going to the big stadium that you could put the most number of people in that also had suites. So I don't want to hear these comparisons of like this is the premier competition for CONCACAF. Make it premier. Make it every four years. Put a bigger spotlight on it. And maybe in the interim years, you, you start working more with Comibol to do more joint competitions, to, to create a, a new competition, to make Nations League fill that other two years. I mean, to me, it's just like, you know, stop with the money grabs and try to create an environment where everything is aimed towards the Gold Cup. Make it matter. Every two years decreases the importance of this tournament. It does. It, straight up, it does. Here's 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 my devil's advocate play on this because Copa America and Comable is just as ruthless and shady when it comes to money as well. They used to be a four year every four year tournament. Now they've gone to every two years in order to match up with the Euros, um, and and that's why you're playing this insane Copa America right now in Brazil in a in a, in a COVID hotbed. But despite all that, despite the, the disaster that this Copa America was as logistically and in the planning phases, every national team took their A squad. And, and yes, there were probably interests involved and pressure being exerted from, from presidents to federation presidents. Uh, but regardless, the Copa America 
It should not be played, but when you watch the games, every player, every top player is there. And you're right, CONCACAF has, they need to get past this summer and make decisions about how they want these tournaments to look. Because if you're going to have Nations League consistently running up against a regional tournament, this is what's going to happen. Um, it, it, there was no way around it. But again, going back to the two managers, I just that they see him much differently. You know, Tata even we'll save it for the story. What the way he compared the U.S. selection and the Mexico selection, but he sees this as a priority. He knows that he cannot walk away from this tournament without the trophy. There are no excuses. He can't say, oh, I'm testing players. I'm going to try this guy at wing and, and, and I'm experimenting. No, like they're there to win it. That's that's the responsibility that he has. That, my friends, is called a teaser. And that is why Felipe Cardenas is the Jonathan Lewis of allocation disorder playing the <laughs> piano that I carried uh, for him today and for Sam Stace goal as always. Uh, thank you so much for being here and listening. Uh, thank you to Felipe for filling in. Uh, we will be back next week. I think Sam's going to be back from vacation. I hope he comes back. He might not. I don't really know. Uh, we'll be back to talking about something that is, you know, meaningless to everyone except for the people who listen to this podcast. Uh, once again, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>